independent, expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Good evening. Welcome to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, we are very happy to have Grant Langston. Although it can seem so by people who don't like it, country music is not a singular boot-and-hat-wearing monolith. When viewed close up, there are as many variations and subgenres in the style as there are diverse artists who invented them. And although Nashville is the undisputed epicenter for what is commonly known as country, some of the more colorful, eccentric, and original characters have always had a hard time fitting into Nashville's rigid confines. Enter Grant Langston. Langston grew up a mere 125 miles south of the Ryman Auditorium in the sleepy, rural, red-dirt town of Hartsville, Alabama. But when it came time to move to a place big enough to hold his ambitious dreams in music, Nashville just didn't seem right for his hybridized brand of country that mixes healthy doses of rock, pop, and bits of other styles into a cohesive and catchy blend. In Nashville, Langston might be a square peg, but in Los Angeles he fits right into the same diverse and healthy local twang scene where it is okay that Dwight Yoakam eats sushi. Langston has five studio albums and one live album under his belt, and we hope he never stops. Welcome to Independence Day, Grant Langston. Thank you, Joe. Wow, that's well said, man. Thanks. Well we, said. Aim to, we aim to please, and I mean every single word of that, man. I hope you never stop, because you're one of these guys. You're like, I mean, you're, you're nowhere near the end of your career, but you're like an L.A. journeyman. It's true. I, it is sometimes remarkable to me when you say that I have that many records. I think, that can't be right, but that is right. You just keep doing it, you keep doing it, and uh, you get some encouragement along the way, and I can go pretty far on a little encouragement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, like I said, this journeyman status, like it, it I guess, and now, and now, this day and age, maybe, and I don't want to take away from any of your accomplishments, which are amazing, but like it doesn't seem like it takes, takes as long because nobody sticks around. That is true. I, I was thinking today about the people that were playing this music in Los Angeles five years ago. And the turnover has been pretty, pretty complete. Yeah. I think people just get tired, you know. They, they, it's, it's easy to talk about money like it's a terrible thing in the world, right? But the fact of the matter is, if you can make a living doing something or you can make uh, enough to pay your bills pay you for your band and stuff it's encouraging and it's easier to keep going and i think a lot of really great singers and a lot of great songwriters just throw their hands up after a few years and say wow this is just too hard i love it but it's too hard uh, and they just try to drop out yeah and and for whatever reason i haven't reached that point yet i still love to play music there are certainly times when i think i don't know if i can keep this pace up yeah. that I have for the last 10 years. It's really kind of been 10 years of, of what I'm doing. Um, but it always seems to grow a little bit. Like we started doing festivals this summer for the first time, and that was inspiring in ways that that was un, that were unexpected to me. So things evolve, and they stay compelling to me. So I just keep getting up and answering the bell. I guess. Yeah, and the, but the whole paradigm has changed. You know, it's, it's. I mean, even in the last five years, which is one of the reasons I do this show, is that it's all changed so drastically that if you apply, 
you know, the rules, whatever those were or are, right. to the way things were five years ago, ten years ago. They don't – it's not apples to apples anymore. You know, like you said, a lot of people have dropped out in five years. But look what else has happened in five years. I mean, it was hard to be in a band five years ago. But then four years ago, the economy took a dive, and it got even harder. You know, people who were kind of on the fringes, like maybe barely making a living at music, yeah. you know, maybe they can't now. You know, so now they're doing something else. So, I mean, it's, it was always challenging to do music. It's emotionally challenging. You know, there's that, there's that great story of Springsteen, you know, where he was, there was a, a rock critic in Jersey back in the early 70s, and he had just seen Springsteen play the show, and he was like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And he was out in the lobby talking to one of the roadies loading the van. He's like, man, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I can't believe that. That was the coolest thing. Do you know this guy? And Bruce was the guy loading the van. <laughs> right. And he's like, uh... He just didn't. He didn't let on. It came. Yeah. They got to know each other over the years, and that then they, they kind of came out that they knew each other that way. Yeah, um, I, I I see what you're saying. I think for me, the thing that's most interesting about these changes, which I think are often cast as sort of depressing, the music business is drying up and blowing away. Kind of the fact that when I started playing music in Los Angeles, and it was more than ten years ago, I was playing in bands and doing a lot of punk music believe it or not the goal at the time was to get a record deal right. that was the that was the focus of all of your efforts you demoed you uh, showcased showcased you barraged labels with cassette tapes or CDs or whatever and really playing for the public was kind of beside the point because once you got signed the label was going to take care of your right. audience building right and it, Artist it is, development. Right. It, it's so interesting to me now that that, of course, has no value because there really aren't labels for most kinds of music for adults. And so the focus has all changed to audience building. And I can do that without any help. Yeah. In fact, a lot of what labels do now, I have no use for. Right. I can do that stuff by myself. I don't need to give them a huge cut of my income because those tools are available to me. And so that is exciting, the fact that I could not only get to know my audience on my own terms, but I can cultivate my own business in, in some ways. Right. And that's, that's exciting, I think. Yeah. Well, in no ways you know, are we saying that this is all negative. Yeah. There are positives to be had from this as well. You are in control of your own destiny more than you ever have been as an artist. Yeah. But it just means with that control comes maybe more work or different kind of work <laughs> hard work or, or a lot and a lot of hard work that you know and it was a bad deal that's just that's the whole thing like everybody wanted to be signed like you said yeah. that was like the goal that was the pie in the sky goal that we in our generation grew up as musicians aspiring to right and you know the the more you read, read jake slifter's book the guy the drummer from semisonic he got a great book so you want to be a rock and roll star and he talks mm. about how much they got shafted mm. you know and it's a it's a fascinating read i recommend it to everybody i don't know jacob i don't get a cut or anything um but the stories are manifold they're all over the place out there where it's like it's kind of a bad deal like a, a record label in the traditional model was a, a a bank with a really bad with a loan with bad terms yeah Essentially, everything was recoupable, and nobody thought about that. That's right. I mean, I, I think it was put to me that it's almost like the bank loans you the money for your house, right? And when you pay them back for the house, they still own the house. Exactly. And exactly. that's a remarkable deal to sign. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing. Everybody, everybody thinks of the Van Halens and the uh, the Aerosmiths and the Rolling Stones, and they think of the big names as the ones like they think that's normal, where that's right. really the exception. Oh, yeah. yeah. And in fact. 
Van Halen sold a lot of records and was still in debt to their record label. Yeah. So it was a bad deal, um, but it is the new world, the new world order, I think is laying to rest the lazy musician. This, right. The stereotype of the guy that you know is stoned all the time and can't get out of bed and kind of comes to life on stage and the rest of the time he's a moron, that won't cut it. That, that, that right. doesn't work anymore. Uh, I don't have the luxury of being lazy. Right. <clears throat> quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, I have to always be thinking like a shark, right? I have to be moving and, and thinking how to improve every sort of step in my process. Yeah. And that's, that's hard some days, but um, it's all mine to yeah. do with as I, as I can. And that's your reputation, like around town, like when I hear about you, like that's, that's your reputation that precedes you. Like you're, you're a, a, a professional. Yeah. You know, which is a good. Well, that's good to hear. I love it. It's a good reputation to have because in, yeah. in the new paradigm, that's what's going to get people through, and it's, it's paying off for you. So, but I want to give you know we've we've dove you know right into the heart of these issues. So you know let's let's uh, let's play a little bit of music because that's what okay. we're really here about. I'm going to play yeah. a track from your most recent record, which if I can find here somewhere, yeah, this is the track "Trouble Knows" from your most mm-hmm. recent record, which is titled once again. Working until I die. Working until I die. A very apropos <laughs> for this. So here, this is the artist Grant Langston with the track Trouble Knows on Independence Day.
Hello, hello, hello. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. This is music I love. I bring it to you every single week. You can follow us on the Twitter at Indep Day. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Indep Day. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. You can find us on the regular old interwebs at indepday.com. And uh, you can also learn about tonight's guest, Grant Langston, at, appropriately enough, GrantLangston.com. We are fully web enabled. We'll talk about his Twitter, Twitter feed, Twitter feed, Twitter feed here in another couple minutes. But uh, you know, Grant, you and I have got so many things in common. Such you know, you make such great music in the style that's kind of it seems so obvious to so many people I know and love. But it seems like kind of a challenge to do this country that's not quite country, but is not quite rock. How did you mm. find your niche? Well. I grew up in a very bifurcated sort of world because I'm in a small town in Alabama. My parents and their generation and my grandparents are certainly into country music, old school country music. Hank. Hank, uh, even older than Hank in right. some ways, kind of Roy Acuff singing about trains and and mountain streams and really sort of quasi-religious folk music. Right. Carter family from like the 30s and 40s kind of stuff. Uh, so I had that background, but I grew up in the 80s, you know, and, and was a guitar player at 10 years old, and I wanted to learn how to really wail. And so I'm listening to what is mainstream rock music because that's there was no underground. The idea of alternative is something that is present now in people's minds, but I would have had no idea what that was. Right. If it even existed. I guess there were underground bands in the 80s, Husker Du and folks. But So I'm listening to Queen and Van Halen and Rush and learning how to play the guitar. And that's kind of my world. And the rest of it is all around me. And that stuff sort of baked in my head. And I came to Los Angeles and started playing punk music, believe it or not. There's a rich tradition of overlap between punk and country. Yeah, and I've learned that since, the, since they're, then. They're both, in their original forms, they're both very raw. Yeah. You know, they, their origins come from different places. Like, punk was a reaction to the popular music of the day, which was rock, becoming corporate, yeah. growing up, and, like, going from pot to cocaine, and, like, getting money. Yeah. You know, it's like growing pains of rock. And, you know, yeah. and this old school country was, like you said, it was, like, essentially religious folk music. Yeah, yeah. So, I... Got really tired. I mean, I always thought of myself as a songwriter, and I would put a lot of time and energy into these lyrics and my craft of writing songs. And at a certain point, I realized no one's getting this this lyric that I'm working so hard. I'm screaming it as they're jumping up and down, and no one even cares about that. You're expending all this energy making a music that people don't even appreciate. And I just took a step back, and I stripped it all down sort of to the studs and said – what do you want to do? You want to write songs that people love and are touched by, and you want to do something that feels true to your roots. And I just started writing songs, acoustic songs. I, I started doing kind of acoustic gigs around town and playing this thing that I liked, and a guy came up to me and said, you know, I'm a record producer, and I like these songs that you're singing, and I've kind of walked, stalked you to these different venues over the last few months, and I'd like to pay for you to do a record. And so that was really kind of how it got started. That's old school. That's old school, isn't it? That was uh, in 2000. 
Yeah, not and so long ago. Not that long ago, but it really, we we went into the studio and I did not know what music we were making because the only way that I'd, ever, I'd ever, ever heard it was just on the acoustic guitar. And when we were done, it sounded sort of like what I do now. It was a yeah. little bit more rock. I've kind of evolved into a little more comfort zone with country music over the last 10 years, but it was in, in essence what I do now. Yeah, yeah, and that's like I said. That's that's it's so fascinating because these where these genres meet is this really rich, yeah. uh, like flashpoint, this overlap between like punk and country and rock. Like to me, is like maybe the sweet spot of all three of those. You're right, and I'll tell you who who I admire maybe more than anybody else, and that's Lyle Lovett because he's yeah. he's intersected jazz. Soul, and sort of soul, R and B, Western swing. country, blues. He's he's doing a, a a different kind of calculation, but it totally works. It's not mainstream music. He's not some big artist in the terms of you know a Nashville artist would be. But he'll have a career until he's a hundred years old. Until yeah. he wants to stop, he he makes laps around the, the the country every year. I see him as often as I can. It's always great. That was going to be my next question. Have yeah. you ever seen him live? Because yeah, my yeah. one of the girls I dated and I, you know, we uh, he came to town several years ago, and I was always kind of a passive fan. I always respected yeah. the guy, but I'd never seen him live. And tickets, I think he was playing at the Orpheum downtown, mm-hmm. and tickets were competitive at the time. Yeah, and so we picked up a couple of tickets. It was like a Sunday night. Went down to see him, and we were honestly blown away. Yeah. We counted up. He had a whole gospel choir on stage. Yeah. We counted. He had twenty nine people on stage. For most wow. of the show, wow. which is very, very cool. And that all made sense. Yeah. Like, it's not just to have, excuse me, it's not having 29 people on stage just to have 29 people on stage. Yeah. It all worked, and it was really, really fantastic. So I, I, I'm, I'm an evangelist for the guy now. Yeah. I still don't listen to his records a ton. You know, I, I, I think he's fantastic. Yeah. But I always tell people, if you ever, ever get a chance to see Lyle Lovett play live, it's worth every penny. If you do not enjoy the show, I will reimburse you your ticket price. Well, I I want his career. That's the career yeah. I want. Right? John Hyatt's is the career. John Hyatt, another guy. That's the career I want. Um, I'm not interested in selling millions of records to millions of people. Uh, I'd like to have a steady following and do the, the work I want to do. Have the have them appreciate it for what it is and have longevity. Yeah, uh, that that's what I'm after. And to be not that he, <laughs> I always use the uh, the John Hyatt example because I, I always say that he can still go to the mall. Yeah. He doesn't get mobbed, you know, and not that I really especially want to go to the mall, but that's still <laughs> that's still my benchmark. You want the anonymity, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I'm after. So let's have you play a little bit of live music here right. for us today. So what? Uh, what is? Tell us what this is going to be. Well, you know, I thought I would just do a, a new song, what like a brand heck? spanking new, brand spanking new, like uh, a week old. Oh, and this we love song it. is about. I don't know about you. I love to drive. And I think this is kind of an, a uniquely American thing. Maybe it's an Australian thing, too. They have a big country. But the European friends that I have, this is not in their DNA. I will drive our tour truck when we play. I'll drive nine hours and we'll play, and I'll drive two more hours. I will get in that car and drive when I feel sad, when I'm confused. That's kind of like the way that I mend myself. We're a country of movers. Yeah. And movement, I think, is, is, in, is in our DNA. Yeah. And I think it's part of our national character as we expanded westward. But you know, by the time they reached the ocean in Europe, it was 
you know, a thousand years ago. Right. You know, it wasn't that long ago for our for our culture. <laughs> right. So, all right. So, one, right. let's hear this. All right. This is called Drive. Hey, I bought us a couple whiskeys. You look like you could use a drink. And I got troubles of my own. I won't bring us down by asking what you think. This town has beat me up, wrung me out, and buried me alive. What say we drain these glasses, get in my old car and drive? I know that you don't know me But I know you've seen me around Sometimes the folks we know the best Well, they are the ones holding us down I ain't talking some big production we don't have to be Bonnie and Clyde Tonight let's give this town the finger Get in my old car and drive Let's go north up past the Oryx Where the tree frogs pulse and sing right in time Wet wind can mend our wounds The road can ease our mind Lucinda Williams has a song about a man Can't wait to get back home With the place he wants to go Ain't the place that he is from You and me, we don't belong here We're just stragglers Trying to survive So let's toss back this whiskey Grant Langston, excellent work, man. Thank you. Very, very good. Tapping into the American archetype, the American uh, universal feeling, driving with a brand new song. Is this? Uh, has, who's heard this before? Uh, nobody's heard this. We love My it. My wife's when, heard it. Okay, we love it when people debut songs <laughs> on the show. It's it's interesting. I, a friend of mine who is a producer uh, of some note said to me the other day, "You know what I want you to do? I want you to write five dark songs and let's go in and record them." So this is one of the dark collection. Okay. Um, 
So we'll see what happens. What are I think every artist like has their um, like their wheelhouse songs. Yeah. What are your like or topics? I should say not songs so much, but topics or feelings or ideas. Like, what are your wheelhouse ideas? Uh, my wheelhouse ideas first is being jilted. I think I still see myself as a loser in love. Uh, I'm not. I, I, have, I have a wife. <laughs> that uh, even if that's not real, that helps you as a songwriter. Yeah. Well, it was real for a long time. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have to make that up. In fact, someone said to me not too long ago, "Well, you know, you just you're just making these stories up." And I said, "No, no. This everything has happened to me. Yes, I'm not." currently miserable in my relationship but i've been miserable in various relationships many times so the emotion that you hear portrayed here i've lived that it's still in there it's in there uh this idea that because i'm not being divorced right now the fact that i'm not in touch with what that's like is is a wrong notion i think for a person so certainly being jilted is one um being lost is another one. I think that, you know, there have been so many times in my life where I've just felt like I just don't know what to do next. I'm just totally lost. And that is an idea that I like to try and get to um, in a way that has meaning um, because I think that's kind of a universal feeling. Uh, those are a couple um uh, it's hard to write happy country songs. You know, they come they, out sappy. Well, they become, become silly very quickly. Yeah. My wife challenged me to write a happy one. She said, come on, you know, you, you write songs all the time. Surely you can put one together. And I wrote a song called Damn Good Day, which was sort of about my life's terrible, but really, what do I have to complain about? Yeah. And that's, I think that's as close as I'll ever get <laughs> to a happy song. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it's uh, it's not so much that one's a singular emotion and one one isn't, but I feel like I, I almost wish as a writer I could write, I wish I could write more happy songs because those, and maybe that's my big challenge is to write that because I honestly, I don't feel like I'm sad all the time. You know, right. like most artists, you know, you wrestle with these sorts of things because I feel like as artists, um, artist types are generally kind of more sensitive to every to everything they're more raw and therefore feel all these different things and therefore are able to then challenge them or channel them repackage them and then represent them to the world so that we can all share yes. in the joy and the sorrow that's right um but you know but the, the happiness i don't want to say like i said i don't feel like a sad guy but it just seems like it's it, it's it just seems such more trite to write well, happy there, there are some genres that lend themselves to joy true right hand claps and like Wow, we, we are just going to express joy for the next five minutes, right? And the genre that I work in is not one of those genres. And you flaunt the rules at your own peril, in my experience, right? I have gotten cocky before and said, you know what? I don't care if it's country music. I'm going to do this. And you know what? It almost always falls apart. Yeah. The rules are there for a reason. And you can toy with those. You can monkey with them a little bit. But you... You better beware of what you're doing, and you better bring some other ears, because if you're in a bubble, 
you can spend a lot of time recording something that is just embarrassing to you. Yeah. Well, you become, you know, Todd Snyder is an example that I give of that, who's someone I really like, yeah, actually. Yeah. I mean, that Beer Run song, <laughs> to this day, is, is, is hilarious to me, and so clever. So clever. It was right there all the time, B-E-E-R-R-U-N, Beer Run. It was right there. <laughs> but he's the guy that plucked it out of the ether. And then, yeah. and then package the rest of it around it to make this amazing, clever, yeah. funny little song. He is clever. Um, and he's done that with, with numerous songs, but then that kind of becomes, it's like that line from Fight Club, you know, so you're clever. Well, how's that working out for you, you yeah. know? But, you know, but he's, he does have depth, but it's hard to, it's hard to listen to or hard to relate to a song that plums greater emotional depths from an artist who's known for that kind of thing. It's like they might be giants or bare naked ladies. Like you get kind of pigeonholed into that thing and then you've got to keep up that mantle. Listen, man, you're telling my story. You know, really the first Grant Langston solo record had some kind of goofy songs on it because I played those live and people would fall on the floor laughing. I was very positively reinforced for that stuff. Right. And I thought... Oh, you want me to do that? I could do that in my sleep. So yeah. here's another funny song about Cameron Diaz. I saw her in the elevator today. I'll make a funny song about that. Yeah, yeah. But what happens is exactly what you said. I mean, that's not really who I am, a goofball, number one. And number two, I want to talk about things that matter to me and sing about those, but no one takes you seriously. They're waiting for the punchline. Right. And I've made drastic errors in songwriting. So many times I've written songs that were just heartfelt tearjerkers, and the title will be something that sounds a little funny. It could be taken funny. And I will play three funny songs, and then I'll expect people to turn on a dime and understand, now this one's serious. You know, you got to get with me on this one. And I'll say the title, and everyone dies laughing. I'm like, well, I might as well not play this song. They're not going to get what I'm doing. So I really had to take a step back and reviewers were pretty uh aware of the funny stuff go grant's a funny guy funny funny and and i just started to wince hearing funny yeah i want to be clever i want to be wry i want to see the humor in things and be a little bit of a smart aleck sometimes i i I mean johnny cash one piece at a time i mean he didn't they didn't back away from occasional stuff that was humorous, but I just don't want to be pigeonholed as, as the goofball guy. Yeah, I think that self, and this is when we're getting a little bit different topic, and I want you to play another song here pretty quickly, yeah. um, but self-awareness, I think, is a dangerous thing for an artist, you know, <laughs> because you, once you start yeah. becoming self-aware, I mean, you have to be to a certain point because, you know, you're, you don't exist in a vacuum. You hear the applause or lack of applause. You see the, you, you see the sales or lack of sales. Yeah. And you want, to, you want people to like you. That's why we're artists. You want people to hear what you're doing. Right. Um, but once you become too self-aware, then all of a sudden now you've closed the circle and now you're doing it for these other things. And although no artist can, I don't think any artist can truly say they do it all for themselves, but being true to that, I think, is a really important thing for an artist. Well, listen, I have resolved in this new year that's coming, I will not read any more reviews of myself, good, bad, indifferent. And I'll tell you why. I've always made a point of reading all the reviews because I thought, wow, you know, this is feedback. I need to take the feedback. And then I, and it hurts a lot of times. You know, I've gotten some really mean reviews. My favorite, I think, is somewhere between Toby Keith and good music is Grant Langston. (laughs) Now, that hurts, right? Yeah. 
It's like a line from Spinal Tap. But but I heard the director Tony Scott talking about critics, critics, and he said, you know, you can't listen to the critics, and it's not because it hurts; it's because it affects the next work. Correct. And I said, wow, he's exactly right. When I sit down to write a song, I hear the words of critics in my head. And I'll play a riff and I'll go, oh, maybe that's two Rolling Stones. That guy in in New Jersey said that sometimes I steal Rolling Stones licks. I better not do that lick. You, you second guess yourself. And you can't make art if you're listening to the critics in your head. So I'm just not going to read it anymore. Yeah. Good, bad, indifferent. I'm not going to do it. I think it's a good policy. Yeah. Try it for a year. Try it for a year. See what happens. <laughs> if it, you know, there, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people in your world who will read them and want to tell you about them anyway. I think so. You know, because the world, you know, for I wonder what the ratio of critics to artists is in the world. Oh boy, sometimes it feels like it's uh, a thousand to one. And now that, and now that, they, <laughs> now that they all have the internet, you know, they all, everyone's empowered. Everyone's can, everyone can be a critic now. Yeah, and. Uh, I've gone all around the block on critics. On the one hand, I'm like, there's a function there. I mean, help me understand what's a good movie and a bad movie, please, because I don't have the time to go see them all. But then you get to, wait a minute, what qualifies you to take this piece of art that these 40 people worked on for two years and in a snap of your finger, you destroy its commercial potential? Yeah. Like, it's a power that they hold that I don't think they take seriously a lot of times. They don't understand that they are really destroying people's careers. Yeah. Um, and they're very glib. And so there's a lot of times that I think critics should be outlawed. With power comes responsibility. Yeah. Take care of yours. Take care of us, man. <laughs> We're all trying to do good work here. Right. All right. So about another tune. Is that cool? Yeah. Let's do um, – this is a song on the Stand Up Man record. This is called – Burt Reynolds movie brawl. All right. And uh, it's about my childhood hero, Burt Reynolds. All right. Let's hear this on Independence Day. Come on, baby, get in the car, baby, get in the car. Get in the goddamn car, we gotta hit the road. This place is gonna explode. Half a dozen boys from Fort Benning Some bikers from Alabama And the prettiest thing in making Georgia Making eyes at the guys in the band Baby lady purse Don't matter at all Gonna be a knockdown drag out Burt Reynolds movie brawl We're gonna have a knockdown drag out Burt Reynolds movie brawl Man, I never said a word I never said a word I don't know what you heard, baby Where's the car? in the bar Cause the fizz have started flying The beer bottles and bad bleed And that old dude in a hell t-shirt Just threw a punch at me Baby, hit the deck I think it's time to crawl Gonna have a knockdown drag out Burt Reynolds movie brawl Gonna have a knockdown drag out Burt Reynolds movie brawl Some liquor and a couple of ice cold beers. Now my woman's 
hurt, this is gonna hurt, tomorrow's gonna hurt Where'd you park the car? I'm leaving you in this bar Cause the chairs have started flying The beer bottles and bad you bleed And that dude in the LSU t-shirt Looks like Terry Bradshaw to me Maybe catch you later I think it's time to haul Tempo country. That's right. Love it, man. Which, which which leads me to another thing. Like, you know, within in the country, folky kind of rock world that you exist in, yes. um, you know, being introspective is such an important thing and like having such a, a deep appreciation for feelings and depressing emotions and, and a little bit, you know, it's because we, you know, let's not, let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. We're working with country traditions here. So there's always a little bit of tear in your beer mixed into that. Right. Maybe because like you said before, yeah, I know you referenced the rules, yeah, yeah. you know, because there are rules in this genre, That's right. you know, and you buck them and then you become, you know, you go a little bit one way, a little bit the other way. You become achy, breaky heart or you become, <laughs> um, you know, and you're, you're walking the line very, very well. I mean, I'm impressed with your ability to do this. But, you know, with stuff like that that's up-tempo, I think you, as someone who's known for having kind of a raucous live show or a very impressive ongoing live show, do you write some songs with the intent to be performed live in that setting with your band? Absolutely. Or do they exist unto themselves and then you kind of apply them? Well, I think that's a great question, and I think it's something that is overlooked a lot of times i mean if you're a live band and you play a lot and you're writing music the live world creates you i mean they they dictate what songs you create and so as i was mentioning earlier you know i would write funny songs because that's what people liked and i wanted people to come to the next show and so if i could be witty and uh, a little silly, and they wanted to come and buy tickets and see that, then I'd just give it to them. Now, that same philosophy applies in some other ways, too. We play dance halls a lot of times. I want people to dance and have a good time. You know, they it's Friday night. It's a country music thing, man. They've worked hard do all pe- week. Do people line dance at your shows? Sometimes. Um, there are bands who can kind of know which, there's, which songs are go with what dance and can, like, yell it out i never learned that so people will say hey this is a so-and-so swing number we're gonna do and people are on the floor when the first note hits doing that dance i'm not that smart but people definitely line dance to some of our stuff and and i want them to dance and i will tell the guys in the band when we're arranging songs uh this has got to be x tempo because i want it to be a dance tune so yeah, we are all we are subject to the world in which we we live in all the time, and uh, a lot of times the writing of the song may not be done with the live show in mind, but the arranging of the song is almost always done that way. And then tell me about um, when you're playing these these live shows. Like you know, you're based in Los Angeles. Like the yeah. traditional LA set is like. You know, 50 minutes if you're lucky. Right. You know, what percentage of your shows, I mean, I guess it may be a better question, a better way to phrase this, or how many of your shows are beyond 
LA's confines where you're playing because if you're playing in a real country band and people are line dancing and I'm a real country band you know yeah, yeah. real country man you're playing nights where you're playing three hours you're playing right. or maybe two three hour long sets that's right that's right we play a place in Orange County where we play five sets now that's wow. the most sets I've ever how long is each set though well we we start at 830 and we finish at 130 that's great <laughs> That's hard for me yeah. because I'm singing yeah. almost all that. But we don't. We play in Los Angeles. We try to play in L.A. three or four times a year because um, I think that if the Beatles played once a week in L.A., after about two months, no one would come see them anymore. Yeah, it's a LA's supply a and very, demand issue. Right? It's a funny town that yeah. way. And they and I, look, I understand. Hey, Grant, love you, but I've seen it. I've seen it, brother. Seen it a dozen times. Don't need to see it. And you know what? You're going to be back in two weeks, so I'll wait for that show. So we play here about four times a year. And as you said, we, we'll do a set on a bill with other bands. But most of the time, we're out of town. We go to Europe once a year and do a tour there. We play a lot in Central California where people like country music. Um, so we're out of town a lot. Yeah. yeah. Which leads me to your band. Um, and this is another multifaceted question. Yeah. Um, how The band that you've got now, how long have you been working with this band? And are they the same guys who are on like the most recent record? And then as a follow-up to that, um, you know, how, how long have you kept them? Like Because it's, it's hard to keep a band together, yeah. especially as musicians get a little older. People get married. People have kids. People have careers. People have obligations. Like you said, you're playing out of town yeah. mostly. Now, you're in a good town for that because there's a lot of musicians. Yeah. But you know, you know, run with those questions and tell me what you think. Well, I have approached this quite differently from, I think, most other artists here in town. There are a lot of guys who have revolving band members. <clears throat> and that includes almost all my friends. So I'm not going to talk trash about them. I will say that a lot of times they're under-rehearsed, and they'll tell you straight up, I barely got a half hour in with this band, right? You know, we, I threw them together in a room, and we ran through the songs one time, and, oh, I'm praying that we can get keep the wheels on. I don't like that. And a lot of the songs, a lot of the arrangements that I prefer have little intricacy in it, in, in it. So I decided I would do a different thing. I went and found guys who don't play country music but love to play. And I said, you know what? Let me try and teach you what you know, what you need to know. And I sort of helped them get into the genre. And now I've been playing with these guys five or six years. They mostly just play with me. They are, uh, some of them, a couple of them professional musicians, so they don't have anything else going. One of them is a writer, so he can do that anywhere. Another guy has got... Uh, kind of part-time work. And so these are people that if I say we need to go to Britain for three weeks, as long as I give them enough notice, um, they'll book that time for me. Uh, I have recently been taking on different other players, fiddle players, keyboards players. Uh, I did an interesting show a couple weeks ago where we performed a Willie Nelson record front to back. And it was one of his old... Uh, records called Phases and Stages, which is very orchestral. And we had eight people in the band and a pedal steel player and a fiddle player. And that was awesome because you had such a big band making this beautiful music. It's hard to manage players. I'm not going to lie to you. It is hard. Every band member you add adds like 
an exponential level of complication with booking anything. That's right. And the travel, that gets crazy. And if there's a woman in the band, that gets tough because, you know, she's going to want to not sleep with smelly guys in a, in a hotel room. So, so it is, I don't want to make it sound like it's not hard, but I have been fortunate to work with people that don't want to be in 10 bands and have the freedom to go and play. Um, and so I give them a lot of the credit for wherever I am in my career because there's an identity there. People know when they come to see me, they're going to see certain folks on the stage, and that helps a lot. Yeah, and there's, like you referenced this before, the talent level is very high in Los Angeles. There are a lot of pickup players. Yeah, You can, you can pay, and they show up, and they do their thing. But even a guy, you know, uh, the top players, the people who can really pay, you know, the Dwight Yoakams of the world are picking up top guys yeah. and therefore they can almost have them on retainer. So you're in a very unique situation. I know you've worked hard to get it that way. Yeah. You know, it was a choice that you made. Yeah. But like you said, these bands full of pickup players, I mean, that's so pop, that's so uh, prolific here. Um, it's almost, it's, it's hard not to because there are so many musicians and they're all so busy and it's hard to get them booked to be your guy. Like, right. like you said, grooming them from birth <laughs> seems to That's be right. like the way to go about it. And also I'm in this for the long game. So like a person can do the math. They can say, well, look, I could do six weeks with Dwight Yoakam and I'm going to make X. Or I can do 18 months with Grant Langston and I'll make more. Now, I certainly can't pay more per show, but I play more. And right. I'll use that guy more because Dwight Yoakam doesn't want to play, you know, as much as I do over the course of a long period of time. So I've tried to help these guys see that math. Yeah. That, hey, you know what? In the long run, I'm a guy you, you want to play with because, we'll, number one, we'll do cool stuff. You know, we go and play. We'll play on a morning show in Phoenix or Sacramento or, or we were the house band at a uh, – a thing that NBC television did, or we go to Europe and, you know, so that's stuff that they think is cool and it's on their resume and they like to go do those shows. Uh, and I think in the long term, it's in their economic interest too. Yeah. yeah. So. And for you, what's the cachet of going to play out of Los Angeles from, you know, with this, you know, saying I'm Grant Langston from Los Angeles, or are you just Grant Langston? Well, and what's the cachet? Is, is there, a, cause there's, it works both ways depending on where you are. I often, Tell if we're going to be introduced, I often tell the person not to tell them we're from Los Angeles, believe it or not, because some places that just hurts you. Before you take a step on the stage, people have got their nose in the air. This is happens in San Francisco a lot, right? Uh, I, I hate that. If I have them say, Grant Langston's from Alabama, the people are applauding and they love it and they give me the benefit of the doubt and I'm charming. And if I'm from Los Angeles, I'm, I'm, I'm stupid and vapid and a poser, right? Right. But you had to leave Alabama <laughs> to go to Los Angeles to do what you did, to become what you are, right. to go back to a place like Alabama and be appreciated for such – or places like that to yeah. be appreciated for that. It's, it's weird the way it all works. You know, if we play in London because – I'm from Alabama. That is tremendous street cred. Yeah, we will be on a band. We will be on a bill. This has happened many times with three Americana bands, and they'll be British and they'll be pretending <laughs> to be from Alabama, which is where I'm from. And in my estimation, we always mop the floor. Never with been those stung guys. by a fire ant. <laughs> what? Those guys don't even know what a fire ant they is. Don't know what a fire ant is. And we always mop the floor with those bands because they're 
pretending to be something, and they like it. They love the music, but it's not real. And the audiences there can see in a second. They're like, oh, <laughs> that's you're the real thing. Yeah. So you're right. There is a great benefit, I think, to leaving town. Um, and also, people clap more in other towns. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, there's... In a place like Los Angeles, which is where you and I both live and have made our home, um, there's a wealth of entertainment. There's a million things to do. So you're... uh, you're competing now. You now we're competing with video games and the internet and streaming and all this other on-demand entertainment, um, which I think eventually will work in our favor because it will become more special to go out and see something live and something real. Um, but there are so many things to do, and I guess in the smaller towns there's those things too. But when a live band comes through, Podunk, San Joaquin Valley, mm-hmm. or Hip-de-doo, Arizona, or East Jesus, Nevada, or wherever it is. I mean, that's it's a more special thing. It's like the circus coming to town on a small scale back in the 20s or 30s. I think that is true in a really small place. I will tell you, though, something that I noticed that is a little bit... I guess this is just life, right? Um, if I play in a smallish town, if I play in Bakersfield, it'll be great. If I play in Bakersfield and... Uh, uh, Taylor Swift happens to be playing in Bakersfield the night I'm there. It's crickets. That's yeah. a bad example. There's another band I was trying to think of that uh, uh, escapes me. It's Rascal Flats. That's who I was going to say. If Rascal Flats is playing in the big hockey arena that night, no one's coming to see me play. Because the big Nashville superstar slick, slick act has so much momentum behind it with radio, right, in that market. Right. That I'm I'm crushed by the tailwind that they have. Yeah. Right. I'm just this little guy with my tent and they're the hurricane. And so as long as there's no one else to suck the oxygen out of the town, right. I'll be fine. Uh, but you have to – those things catch you by surprise. Yeah. You know, you know it, it works that way in other genres too, man. You know, when the when the hard rock band was playing in Chicago when I was growing up, and if Van Halen's playing at the Rosemont Horizon, all those guys are at the <laughs> Van Halen show. Right. That's how it's always been, man. Yeah. Uh, how about another tune? Yeah, let's do it. What do you got for us? This one's called uh, – this is, a, you know, a song about a bad man. It's always fun to try and write songs about the bad man. The Johnny Cash – idea that he you know perfected so well uh can you make him bad but have enough goodness in there somewhere that you don't hate him so this is called uh i don't give a damn she don't have a clue all right let's hear this i could write it all down Feel all the names Pass out the details Share all the blame What would that matter? Important facts there are to my hand She gives me her heart 
heart and each night's performance is a sad work of art I swear I will tell And that's a short song about a bad man. <laughs> that's right. There's a guitar solo in there typically, but I left that out. Yeah. So. Do, you, do you hear those things in your head? Like I when do, you play? Yes. Like when I write, man, I mean, it's very, as a guy who produces music, like right from the beginning, yeah. like almost, I can hear, it's almost, that's like a challenge for me. Like I can almost hear how it's done and I'm trying to fill in the parts that should be there or the lyric that will support this arrangement or this chord change or that turn. Absolutely. It's like reverse engineering something (laughs) that that doesn't even, it's not even anywhere near existing yet. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's how it happens with me too. I mean, sometimes you just go, oh yeah, I gotta have, I gotta have this. How do I make that? Yeah. And you, you know, one of the things that I did that with was that song, Damn Good Day that I talked about earlier. I, I was, I just basically sat up in bed one day and said, you know, I've got to get a dual lead guitar solo into a song like an old Eagle song. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. What would that need to be? How do we get there? And then, you know, we just worked backwards from that. So, yeah, every trick you can possibly get to, you possibly use, I've, I've done it. Yeah. And then progressing from album to album. You know, like you said, you've got a few under your belt now, which is, a, it's got to, like I said, it's got to be a great feeling. I mean, it's more 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 stuff to schlep around when you play shows. Right. Is everything in print? Do you still have copies of all of it? Uh, there's one that's out of print. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever done vinyl? Well, you know, we're talking about doing vinyl. Um, it's the, weirder for the country market. Yeah. Country is about five years behind. That's the thing, right? We So for Stand Up Man, the record that came out in 09, we did download cards because... A couple of people at shows said, you know what, uh, would you sign my CD? And I said, yeah, that's fine. And they go, yeah, well, just sign the packaging. I'm going to throw the CD away. <laughs> I'm going to rip it and throw it away. <laughs> in the back of your mind, you're thinking, and I said, you son of a bitch. You, you're going to rip the CD and throw it away? And they go, yeah. And I'm thinking, why am I making these plastic discs? Yeah. So we made a run of, of download cards with my face on it, and it was the album cover. And you got everything. You got the artwork. You got all the music. And we sold them for half the cost of the CD because they're so cheap to make. No one bought them. People want some sort of artwork. And so that 
taught me a lesson that, you know, I think if I was in an indie rock band, I probably could have done pretty well with those cards. But the audience for me is, you know, 33 to 63. And a lot of those yeah. people, they're just not on the cutting edge of anything, really. Yeah. So um, I think vinyl, I love vinyl. I have a turntable and I'm, I almost everything I buy, I buy vinyl. But I'm just not sure my people are there yet. I'd yeah. love to do it. I would love to hear my music on a vinyl record before I yeah. die. I, I want that. Yeah, that's kind of it's kind of become my goal too. Yeah. But then, are you? But you're recording. You're probably recording on Pro Tools, right? Yeah. Doesn't it seem kind of strangely? Because I think of the same process. Because there's no way. There's especially if I'm going to be pressing to vinyl. You know, things being as they are right now. There's no way in hell I'm going to be able. It's like I can either record to two inch and then sell CDs, or I can record on Pro Tools and then do a vinyl record. But there's no way in God's green earth right now that I could do both. Yeah, when they took me through the process for making a vinyl, uh, basically it's got to be remastered and it's this and that and it's super expensive. And I just don't want to. I've been lucky in that I've never done anything where I just couldn't sell it. Like I've, you know, t shirt runs or product of merchandise or whatever. I always feel like, okay, I'll take a chance. I'll make a hat. And then we finally sell the hat. It may take us two years, but we sell all the hats. And it seems like, all right, that worked out. I'm scared of vinyl because it doesn't travel well. Right. I'm, it's going to be in the back of a, of a trailer right. in Texas. Getting and it's going to be 140 be degrees. degrees in there. And I'm going to lose. I just have these worries. So hopefully. Well, it is about, that's the thing. It's about commerce. Yeah. I mean, we do it for the art, but we're still, we're trying to make a living at doing this. That's right. And, you know, 10 years in. You know, I'm not looking for uh, hard numbers, but what percentage of your income would you say comes from doing your music now? Well, you know, it's the kind of thing where if I wanted to just give up all other business activities and play music, I could probably do okay, but there would be a lot of worrying. And so I can, I, I can, I'm a writer, I write articles about different things, and I can do that on the road, and do you write under your own name? <clears throat> I do, yeah. So it's just irresistible to me not to do that. And, you know, tomorrow if I got another business opportunity, I'd do that too. And I have a lot of energy, and I think that I'm capable of a lot of stuff. And so I like to have a lot of plate spinning. Yeah. Uh, I love playing music, but even if I was uh, – more successful than I am now, I'd still want to do some other things yeah. too. That's just kind of who I am. Diversification is the key, son. I think so. I think so. So tell me this, um, and then I want to hear one last tune before we roll on out okay. of here. Um, we, you know, we've talked a lot of a lot of different aspects of country music. What it's or this rocky country thing that we're doing now, or yeah. you're doing now. Uh, you know, the fact how you're making money at it, how you've built it, where it came from. I'd like to hear a little more what you think of as far as where it's going. You know, pull out your crystal ball. You know, you, we work in this genre. And we know what the rules are now. We've watched how it's changed since the 20s, since it was folk music, religious folk music. Where's it going to be in 10 years, 25 years, 50 years? Will these rules you know, that are so tried and true, will they still have the same measure? Will they still have the same influence on the country artists of tomorrow? Who will they look to? Will they still look to the same icons that we were still looking to, the Cash and Hank, uh, a few others, the Carter family? Yeah. Um, you know, where will it be? Where is it going? 
Wow. That's a, that is a big question that you ask. Um, so let's just take some little pieces of it. I think that 10 years from now, live performance is still going to be where it's at. That's where it's at now. That's really kind of how you get out there and make some money and make a name for yourself. I think there will always be opportunity to sell some music into other mediums. You know, uh, TV and film is kind of where it's at now. Um, I think that will still be around. The selling of music, though, apart from your show, where it's kind of a souvenir, I think will be non-existent. Uh, it's it's virtually non-existent now, but I think it will. No one will even bother to try anymore. You you'll make records simply to promote your live show and to sell as souvenirs, um, and to have songs to sing, and to have songs to sing, show. right? And to um, maybe have recordings you can sell into other things, game shows, and that sort of thing. It is interesting to think about whether. 30 years from now, someone's going to be holding Keith Urban up as an icon of, of music. It seems a little impossible to me that that would happen, um, even though I think he's fine. But in terms of changing lives, I don't think he's doing that. And I don't think anybody is. And the reason is, look, when Merle Haggard writes a song about being in prison, it's because he was in prison, Right. And there's an authenticity there that you just don't get from a, a kid that shows up in auditions to be the talent at Mercury Nashville, and they try get a hat for him, and it's, yeah, you got to get you, you got to get a size smaller jeans there, boy. Okay, we'll get you a team of songwriters in here, and uh, let's write you some songs. I mean, that system, which is kind of a, a process and a machine, it just doesn't produce people that, in my opinion, are icons you know that you will hold up for hundreds of years uh it's just not it doesn't seem like it's they even care about that they certainly don't care about that it's a business and they're just trying to make money so if i had to think about 30 40 years from now i think it's still sinatra miles davis the beatles johnny cash i i led zeppelin uh George Jones, Buck Owens, I think it's still the same people. Isn't that sad to think about? And it's well it's funny because a lot of them, I mean, that you've talked about that you just mentioned are still alive. Yeah. We want to think about these as, you know, dinosaurs roaming the earth who created the fabric, created the language we speak as musicians today as in the popular idiom. Right. But a lot of them are, you know, half the Beatles are still here. You yeah. know, and if it wasn't for that jackass We'd just have three of the Beatles, more than likely. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, Zeppelin, every, you know, three out of four of them are still around. It's true, but you know what? In the next 10 years, we're probably going to start losing those guys. Yeah. It's something to think about. In 20 it? years, that's, I guess that's They'll part of the gone. question. It'll, it'll all be gone, and then where do we go? What, when we have no one to turn to? I think we'll keep holding those folks up. I, yeah. I just, maybe it's because you never think of your contemporaries as special, right? And maybe to an 18 year old kid, uh, Tim McGraw is like Merle Haggard is to me. That seems like a laughable thing to even say because I don't see people uh, holding up Garth Brooks as some kind of icon, even though he was one of the most successful people ever. And he's a songwriter. He's not just a right. person singing someone else's songs. It just 
doesn't seem that it's going to work that way. We have our icons, and yeah, maybe someone every now and then will pop up as a real rare talent. But I don't think music means the same thing to people anymore, especially to kids. So I sat in my room for four and five hours and played the guitar when I was 12 years old at a time. I had nothing else to do. I was so bored. So I just sat in the room and listened to music and played the guitar. That would never happen today. <laughs> it just the too many options. As you the, well, the kid couldn't put down his smartphone long enough to play a scale. Right. And I sound like an old bastard when I say this. <laughs> but, I mean, I myself am guilty of it. I've got a smartphone. I'm on it all day long. Yeah. It's hard for me to focus. You know, and, I'm, and I know how to put the thing down. I, man, I hear you. And it's sad to me. You think about the way music mattered in like 1972, the place it had in pop culture. Boy, it just is nowhere near that now. Yeah. And that's some of that's music's fault, some of it's not. I understand when you go into a store and you hold a, a Bruce Springsteen record and it's 16.99 and you hold a Lord of the Rings DVD and it's 14.99 and you go, "What? I don't understand this movie that's 3 hours long and was shot in this amazing, you know, scene and is this tremendous piece of work is of virtually the same price as this see this record, this audio record. It sort of monkeys with your value. Now there's a reason for that, of course, because they made their money back on Lord of the Rings in the theaters and the DVD blah blah blah. But so many things have just kind of degraded music's place in the world. Um, and I don't think that's ever gonna change. I don't think it's gonna yeah. come back. But you know what, man? I mean, you're out there keeping the faith. Yeah. And I think, and I think, as long as we've got guys like you, who are out there doing things the way the way they ought to be done, or the way they have been done, like that traditional. I keep, I come back to this all the time on the show. Like it's the word real, doing it in a real way, being real about what you're doing. That's how we keep it alive, and that's how we keep moving it forward. Even if we're based in tradition, we're still out there alive, living, breathing, playing, singing. Uh, bleeding, whatever, for our art. And that's how it stays real. Totally agree. And I hear every single time we play, someone comes up to me and says, I like this, but I don't even like country music. And I say the same thing every time. You don't even know what country music is. It's right? well, that, well, that's the, well, that's the point where you you strip away the genre. Yeah. Once something becomes real enough, I think the genre becomes a, side, a sidebar. You know, Dwight Yoakam is a classic example of that for me. I think he's the artist that I know of and in, yeah. in country that's the biggest that when people hear it, they go, wow, he's really good. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's, it's honky tonk. It's based on old school stuff. It's not the poppy stuff. Yeah. And but people hear it and they go, wow, yeah, I'm not really a country fan, but that's good music. Right. It speaks yeah. to something much deeper yeah. than what we even know. Right. It, yeah. it sort of. Anything that makes your foot move and it touches you, yeah. you do, as you say, you look past the genre and you're like, wow, that's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I challenge anybody to like listen to Ray Charles. I don't care if you hate R&B or soul music. Listen to that guy play and tell me you don't love it. You can't. It's irresistible. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, your soul is dead. <laughs> your soul is dark and dead. <laughs> Indeed. How about uh, one last real song All right, let's we roll do, out of here? Let's do one more new one. What about that? Okay, what's this one called? This one's called Me and Margaret. And how old is Me and Margaret? Me and Margaret's about three weeks old. Okay, let's hear this. Uh, Grant Langston with a brand new tune on Independence Day. 
Langston, hey, I don't know where you and Margaret are headed, but can I go with you? Yeah, man. That's, That's what is today. Today's Tuesday. Today's it's German beer. German beer night. That'll do. <laughs> I was at the Red Lion not too long ago. Really? I'm. I, like uh, I prefer. Uh, there's a different style. I prefer more, but I can abide by. Abide by German beer if that's what it needs to be. Yeah, what's with, your style? Belgian, oh, British. I'm a, I'm a fancy West Coast IPA man. Well, IPA like it's, green. What's it? Green. Green flash. Green flash. West Coast I, IPA. You like that beer? I oh, do I ever? It's good stuff. I know that. I know the brewmaster Chuck Silva. You're a genius. He's out wow. there somewhere, and I know his secrets. I'm a brewer, so I know his secrets. Where is Green Flash located? They are based in North County, San Diego. Nice. Uh, good stuff. I love it. You know, some IPAs like getting punched in the nose, but they have gotten that just so there's a bite, but it's drinkable. It's, uh, oh, is it? Is it ever? <laughs> is it ever drinkable? <laughs> it's in, Grant, it's entirely too drinkable. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it, it's certainly an acquired taste. Uh, I didn't mean to go off down this road, yeah, but, yeah. you know, once we're there, uh, that is. Uh, a very, very well-made product of something. There's a lot of that being made in these parts of the world, but Chuck right. Silva has elevated that 
even even more than most folks have. I love that about the world. It seems like in a lot of ways it's just getting better and better. You know, there's a lot of great stuff out there. You just got to dig for it, man. Yeah. And uh, so if you want to dig and find you and your music, it's grantlangston.com. Pretty traditional spelling, L-A-N-G-S-T-O-N. Good Southern name. That's right. Grantlangston.com. He's also on Facebook. We mentioned this earlier, but it's facebook.com slash grantlangstonmusic. Twitter.com, grant underscore langston. Just a little bit different there. Um, you can also, uh, this will be archived on the Independence Day website, as all of our episodes are. I hope you check out all of those. And they can be found at indepday.com, I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com, uh, Facebook.com slash Indepday, and Twitter at Indepday. Please follow us. We would love it if you listen to some more shows. Send us bands you like. We have got a lot of great bands coming up, but we're always looking for more. There's so many here in Los Angeles and so many that are coming through. And uh, the, our staff here has been working on booking some pretty incredible people. So stay tuned. You'll be hearing from us. Uh, Grant Langston, also, you've got a couple shows coming up here. You've got tomorrow night at Genghis Cohen. That's right. Is that a full band show? Is that uh, a solo show? It's going to be me and a couple of interesting folks. A great guitar player named Dave Gleason is going to sit in with me. A great harp player named Dan Kinsella is going to sit in with me. So it should be fun. Yes. Very nice. Something a little different from the Something full different. band show. That's right. Got to keep them guessing. And also, you've got a Christmas show coming up with a bunch of other artists. Uh, it's an annual thing at Cinema Bar, which is a great place in Culver City. Yeah. Uh, Christmas show. You'll be playing original Christmas music, as will everyone else. Everyone's doing original Christmas songs, so it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> Yeah, well, I I need to make it out to one of these shows one of these days, man. Yeah. Anyway, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, it's been Grant. A blast. It was fantastic getting to know you, and come see us again. Keep us abreast of what you're up to. Okay. I will. Thank you. And a very special thanks to Grant Langston, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and always to Valentino Rivera from Lancer Radio. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society for Independence Day. I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another. <laughs>